As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, February 5th, 2018, episode 23. This is Tom coming to you from the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and my co-host Nick is Skyping in from the Houston Outpost. Hey, Nick. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. How about the Super Bowl? Eagles 41, Patriots 33, one of the most exciting games I have ever seen. Yeah, well, first and foremost, justice triumphed, right? In more ways than one. Sixburg is still intact. The Patriots lose. You get to watch the sadness on their faces as the confetti rained down upon James Harrison's biceps and Tom Brady's sad face. And it was a thing of beauty. The Jesse James rule was, I guess justice was served in that, depending on the way you look at it, or it wasn't served. And it kind of reaffirmed the fact that we should have been there. But yeah, unbelievably exciting game for any fan. So I don't want to join the 72 Dolphins in their annual Schadenfreude Fest, just being taking glory and, and happiness when others are suffering. But yes. I do admit that I was pulling for the Eagles the whole time. Yeah, I'm pretty petty when it comes to the Patriots. I Every year I've gotten slightly more petty as the, as the years go on, and I'm not above it. I'll admit that. But yeah, even putting that aside and even putting our defense of Sixburg out of our mind it was just an unbelievably fun game not only was the game incredibly exciting there was no defense that was played but the yardage alone 1151 combined yards the most in nfl history any game regular postseason so the game on the field was incredible but the storylines there was a billion of them particularly on the side of the eagles Look, the only story that wasn't fulfilled was the one I was predicting all the way up until that final pass to Gronkowski. I, I was certain the Patriots would pull out a patented New England uh, comeback, even when they were down by 10, yes. 8 points. Absolutely. Even when they threw the Hail Mary on the last play of the game. I mean, you saw Gronk in the middle there. There's a video of Kobe Bryant on Instagram, who's a huge Philly fan, obviously raised in Philly, and that ball goes in the air. And Kobe stands up with his baby in the hand and goes, no, 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 no. And then Gronk goes up in between everybody. The Eagles jump up. They tip it. It goes up again. Kobe goes, no. And then it falls to the ground. He goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. We won the Super Bowl. But you could tell he was like all of us. We were sitting there waiting till the whistle was blown and the confetti falls because that would be perfect time for a Patriots pass interference penalty, right? But, well, the nope. Eagles looked like a bunch of elves around Gronkowski. Every every human does, right? Very, I mean, very le- high leaping elves, but uh, it was, yeah. It, for where do sure you start he was and catch where do you that. end? I mean, obviously, a trio of backup quarterbacks for the Philadelphia Eagles topple Goliath and Darth Vader. Basically, you got Doug Peterson, Frank Wright, and then I, don't know, I think that's how you say his name, the offensive coordinator for Philly, and then Nick Foles. All of them 
doing a fantastic job. Those are uh, the rightful MVP is Foles, but if you could give it to a coach, I mean, Doug Peterson and his play calling is really the story of the game. Just unpredictable, an incredible mix of run and pass, which led to some really successful play action. And like you were saying before, I think any fan with a brain the whole time knows that, hey, Tom Brady can take this at any point. The lead is never safe. But you got to give it to them. There was somebody who wrote on NFL.com an article, like um, even for the Patriots, people who who have Patriots fatigue, you have to admit, when those guys play in a Super Bowl, it's pretty much an instant classic. Look, what what really appealed to me was that neither team was playing not to lose, except for the the Eagles' last drive where they were running the ball. I could understand it, but it did feel a little like playing not to lose, and that opened the door to the Patriots. But I think otherwise, both teams put everything out on the field. Two passes to quarterbacks. How often does that ever happen? One of them resulting in a touchdown, by the way. I mean... It almost seems like the the Eagles were rubbing in their face because of Tom Brady's failure on the on the pass earlier. But no, you're right. They the the story of the game is the Eagles learned from the Falcons from last year's Super Bowl. You cannot take your foot off the gas and you play the Patriots. You just can't do it. And they never did. They converted multiple fourth downs and they put the ball in the air when they needed to. I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with you on the last drive. With the run plays, they had three six, um, six, three runs in a row and then a field goal. But basically that ensured that the Patriots had to use all their timeouts and then they would only have one minute with no timeouts to have to score a touchdown. I think it would be a little different if they were only up by a field goal. But Well, disagreeing yeah. with me would make you wrong because oh. 100% Brady's going to make that touchdown. Actually, 99%. That was the 99.9. There you go. Hey, look, there, as you mentioned, there are stories when the stories. What was interesting to me is, look, Garrett – Blunt exacts his revenge with 90 yards. That 36-year-old run was beautiful, and the 21, 21-yard touchdown run, incredible. Right up, right up the seam. Yeah, there. Everybody was getting yardage. Tom Brady, unfortunately, joined the 500-yard club. Um, three touchdowns, 500 yards. Lost. Only quarterback ever to lose under those circumstances. And uh, the defenses were abysmal. <laughs> I, what can you say? But it, you can't really take away from how great both offenses were. What an incredible show. It it was a classic Patriots game in the sense that you see the Eagles go down the field and they are converting third down and long. They're converting fourth downs. They're making these incredible circus catches on the sideline. And every touchdown is under review because it's so close. And then the Patriots get the ball and they throw a 30-yarder, a 40-yarder, a 20-yarder, a 20-yarder, and then they score a touchdown with nobody ever covering their receivers. But, I mean, incredible display of offense and incredible clutch performances by both teams. Amendola, Hogan, Gronkowski, over 110 yards each. Uh, if I can get to my screen. So Gronkowski was an interesting story, right? It looked kind of like the Steeler game. First yeah. half... Uh, Brady was one to five, tar- targeting Gronkowski five times, completing one one uh, pass for nine yards. Second yeah. half, he opened up. He was eight for nine, 107 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, he had deja vu of that, I almost said Ryan Clark, that Sean Davis Steelers drive where he basically caught four passes and a touchdown to open up the second half. And you thought, oh, here it goes. Game's going to get out of hand. But Philly came right down the field and they struck back. So, just like we said, just tons of drama within and out of the game. But probably the thing of 
biggest note and most interest to the Steelers would be the poetic justice of the game-winning touchdown, the Zacherts touchdown. What were you thinking when that happened? So for anybody who didn't watch, which I, I don't know if that is many people, Andre, and what basically happens is Zach Ertz, third and seven, near the Patriots' 10-yard line, catches a ball, basically hits the ground, takes another step, and then lunges into the end zone. And this couldn't have been any closer to a carbon copy of what happened with Jesse James. His arms are extended out. The ball kind of – his hands and the ball kind of simultaneously hit the ground, and it bounces up in the air. He actually catches it again. But I, even the announcers are saying, oh, my goodness, is this about to happen again? When I saw it – the so the first the first angle I saw it looked I obviously saw the ball pop up, but it seemed to me the ball never left his hands as it, his hands were underneath the ball and it popped up. Yeah, and then yeah, they atomized the video into thirteen different thirteen different angles, and somebody could make the argument he didn't have possession of it. We're gonna have yeah. to talk about what possession means because the ball was kind of held against his chest on the point. I'll tell you who who my heart was pounding for more than anyone. It was uh, head referee Gene Statore. If I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Lanolin? Lanolin? Like Sheep's Hole? Yeah. But that yeah, guy, he envious position. He, he was going to, the only call to make was the one he made because certainly the Patriots weren't going to storm the field and kill him, but it would have happened if the Eagles <laughs> would have lost that call. I don't know. Gronk kind of went rogue earlier in the season. You never really know, and he's just going to dive on the back of somebody's head these days. But. You look at the Steelers season, and the Patriots season has some similarities, and both teams kind of won games that they maybe shouldn't have won, or maybe won games that just kind of came down to a coin flip. With the multiple times the Patriots benefited off that catch rule, whether it was the Steelers game or the Jets game, and this time they were on the other end of the stick. But look, they made the right call, and what a terrible look that would have been for the NFL. It's it's been such a big deal all year for so many games to – get decided by these completely subjective, weird technicalities on things that anybody in their right mind is saying, like, that should be a touchdown. We don't need to – the guy catches it and he gets in the end zone. It should be a touchdown. It's basically the prevailing thought in the USA. And to, to have that happen, to win or lose the Super Bowl, that would have been a very bad look for them. But turns out that they made the right call, and therefore the NFL and the fans – but well, proper. purportedly, Goodell said that they are going to look at this rule in the offseason. I mean, it, it, you've got to start talking about what a football move is. Right. And yeah, you have that, to talk about what possession, what possession is. How many catches have we seen that are on the side of a helmet, one-handed, three fingers, bobbling yeah. and grabbing it as it goes out? I mean, I can understand if you don't have – if the ball is still in the air, right. as in being bobbled as you're falling out of bounds. But if you've got it – even if it's just one hand pressed against your chest and it's basically the bottom of the football, that's still possession to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, Odell, like you said, Odell caught it with three fingers. What are you going to say? That the guy has it within his, the conflict. Anyways, we could go for a million years on this. All I know is that was, it was so funny to see it. Everything seemed like it was going in slow motion. What a kind of a watershed moment for the NFL, I feel like. And if they had made that call differently, then, oh my goodness, the pandemonium. For the Patriots season basically to be defined off of that rule with the Steelers' victory and then with that victory would have been crazy. I mean, Patriots or anybody else, but it's just so weird that they find themselves in that position. Yes, I find but, that ironic. The only example anyways. of ironic. Yeah. So the other uh, story within a story, again, uh, relating to the Steelers, James Harrison. 
You know how many snaps he was on the field? How many? 68. 91% of the snaps. This is the guy who, when he left, said maybe he'd be playing 20 snaps a game. He played in 91% of the defensive snaps in the Super Bowl. And, by the way, he was present all the time in the backfield. Yeah, he had a couple misses on some run plays, but overall, he was manhandling the Eagles' offensive lineman, and he made an impact. But I am, of course, being petty about James Harrison, the confetti falling on his massive biceps, because... I'm going to stick by my position. I don't blame the guy for leaving. The Steelers cut him. He wanted to go to the Super Bowl. He did that. He actually got to play a huge role in a Super Bowl. But, you know, I'm going to have my cake and eat it, too. You're still a traitor. You went to the Patriots. So, ha-ha, you're a Steelers legend. I love you, but didn't want to see well, you with that let's, Patriots trophy. Let's talk about the Steelers. And uh, if it had yeah. worked out and we were in the Super Bowl, how do you think this would have panned out against the Eagles? Yeah, you can't help but looking at that, and it's been such a heartbreaking end of the season because the Steelers' identity is tied up in the killer bees and this amazing offense, and they really seem to reach their potential in the playoffs. But after watching this game, does anyone really think the Steelers would have won won that? I mean, with the defense that the Steelers have, the the Patriots, they didn't punt a single time. They scored 33 points. They had a fumble and a turnover on downs, I believe, and then a field goal that got missed because of a bad snap. So, like, I guess it comes down to would the Steelers' defense have been have done better than Patriots? Maybe. Who knows? I mean, there wasn't much to be found for the Patriots on defense anyways, but, you It's know. a question of how many points the Steelers could have scored. Could they have scored more than 41? They could have. But it, of course. it definitely is a dogfight, and it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Yeah, they scored 42 against the defense in Jacksonville. That's even better than the defense in Philly. So, of course, they could have won, but, you know, it, it maybe not as much of a guarantee as we were making it. But I think it wasn't as much of a guarantee as much of, as we were feeling. We finally have everybody healthy, and the potential is being realized. We just didn't expect such a giant defensive collapse. But So bearing that in mind, where do the Steelers go from here? I mean, it's terror. it's terror zone. Right now, knowing that you're not going to have Shazier back, and and you do have Butler back, so what can the Steelers do to get better next year? How is this going to change? Because they're not picking up any big free agents. Well, this might not help that much, given that we went 13 and three. But I have to say, if if the Steelers can come out of the gate strong, the the cliffhangers were too much for my heart. I mean, they they had the capability, and they showed it by the end of the season that they are an offensive machine. I would yeah. like to see that happen earlier in the season and especially after bye weeks. But, you know, when, when you can score 40 points uh, a game, yeah. and it, it's irrelevant, I should say, if you're still winning. But I would like to see that get stronger. And given that everybody's going to be back, Sons perhaps are running back. We should be able right. to come out of the gate strong. Well, we'll get to that in a second, but I think I do try and simplify it sometimes by saying they score 42 points against the Jaguars. They're unbelievable. You can't get any better than that. Well, I'm, that basically implies that I am ignoring the super slow start with the interception in our own red zone and with the fumble that got returned for a touchdown. And that would be unwise of me because the Steelers frequently had those slow starts, and that's what made for those close games. So you can start more strongly, particularly finishing in the red zone earlier in games, and that changes the complexion of an entire game. And it just is more of a sustainable way to play football than like, okay, we're going to go down and we're going to have to storm back with these 20-point comebacks in the second half. So there is a lot of room for improvement as far as efficiency goes. They improved on third down all year. Next step is red zone. 
and and just cleaning the whole game up. So they're, the Steelers can go up in offense, which is exciting. And obviously they can only go up in defense. Sure, but it's secondary to the defense. And the, and the scary thing is you have to go for an inside linebacker. You're going to use yeah. your first-round choice on the inside linebacker. Uh, a lot of people are talking about replacing safety. But, I mean, you need a rush. And you're not going to be able to do this all in one year. That's the scary thing. Well, the way I think about it is the Steelers' offense actually underperformed a little bit last year in the playoffs when it was like the Le'Veon Bell year, and he just kept breaking his own rushing record in the playoffs. If you look at it, that offense actually underperformed. This year, it seems like the Steelers, it took them a long time, but they were able to finally figure out a formula to get that offense clicking in the way it should. Part of that was you know, Ben finding his rhythm and then Juju really stepping up and giving them this type of versatility. So if they were able to take a season and fix the issues with the offense, I think that they should be able to fix some of the issues with the defense, although I don't see them making a huge improvement. If the offense can improve the efficiency and the defense can be slightly less terrible, Steelers are going to be right back in it. Which, of course, we're going to be talking about all offseason. But let's move into another segment. How about these NFL ratings? They're imitating Lindsey Vaughn at a World Cup. Sliding downhill year after year. I did an analysis. Uh, actually, I looked on Wikipedia, and it's incredible the uh, the slowdown in the growth of the of Super Super Bowl viewership. And they said even though the the numbers aren't out for last last night, they're about mm-hmm. on par with last year. So yeah, the Super Bowl enjoyed years of uh, accelerated growth, and they've been sputtering for the last honestly since t- 2011 when they were up four percent, and since then. Three of the years have been declines. Interestingly, the uh, cost per 30-second commercial <laughs> continues to escalate, and advertisers pay for it. It was, uh, I think, $5 million a slot this year. Interesting, too, because the, this Super Bowl and last year's Super Bowl have, are widely considered two of the most entertaining Super Bowls that there's been. So we've kind of looked at a lot of this stuff, and some of that rating things some of that's due to football there's a bunch of reasons we'll kind of slide over some of those and then some of it's just due to tv so last year uh one of the one of the theories was that the presidential election drew attention from football uh possibly how do you know except that this slide has been uh predates 2016 yeah you have the presidential election then you have the protest thing which says you lose a lot of that sort of rural blue-collar fan base, which does make up a lot of the NFL fan base. You have the quote-unquote player misbehavior with the domestic uh, assault, domestic abuse things, the Ray Rice, whatever. Um, some of that stuff took some of the ratings down. The officiating confusion with the Jesse James stuff, people are getting tired of that. There's a bunch of different factors that go into it. I'll bet you there's and, one factor you hadn't thought of. What's that? The shaking down of the taxpayer. So... Oh. Tell me more. My father refused to watch the Steelers after uh, the populace of Pittsburgh declined a tax increase to pay for the new stadiums. Yet the next year, they floated a bond and built two new stadiums. Well, there you so go. So felt schnookered by that. And I think that happens in many cities. And maybe they get over it, maybe they don't. But uh, I do think the taxpayers are tired of paying for the uh, billionaire's uh, playpen. Yeah, I mean, there's pl- we could keep going down the list all day of reasons why the ratings are declining. But at the end of the day, when you put a product on TV like that one last night, you're going to be fine. I mean, that's the most entertaining thing you could see. You have a list, right, of like the top 10 
most watched television shows of the past, of 2017, and most of them are football games, right? Yeah, so in the calendar year, there were, uh, out of the top 10, seven of them were football games. Only the con- uh, Congressional Address and the Academy Awards and the Inauguration were in the top 10. By the way, the Steelers had three of those top 10 slots, most watched shows during 2017. But I think you, you hit on something really important that it's the product that goes on the field. If you look back at this past year, you had major stars out for the entire, you know, entire year or large chunks yeah. of the season, like Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck, J.J. Watt. And um, this yeah. was an interesting statistic that of the 10 NFL players with the best-selling jerseys, only one made the playoffs this year without being injured or suspended. That's crazy. And then Carson Wentz, the NFL MVP, goes down halfway. So Tom Brady kind of gets it by default. Not that he's not you know, deserving of that, but Carson Wentz is the clear choice. And that guy goes down. So that's a little serendipitous. But you're right. I mean, the, the, Look, the biggest the stars of the aging are the 35-year-olds. It's Ben, Brady, Breeze. You know, they got to get some of those guys back next year, and they will. And That'll some help. of the some of the teams that should be on television aren't because just four of the thirteen most popular teams were in the playoffs: New England, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and Carolina. Yeah, so there's there's a million different reasons for that, and you can keep getting into those. But one big one that everybody likes to talk about, of course, is the concussions. And and I once again I kind of had a little flashback, a little out of body moment last night when Cooks Brandon Cooks got his entire life rocked by Malcolm Jenkins when he kind of tried to reverse field and scamper away from the Eagles defense and got absolutely obliterated by Jenkins. So I can't, we could do like three podcasts on the storylines from that Super Bowl. That just encapsulated the NFL season in a nutshell. There was no defense. You had major replay controversy. You had a major concussion off of a huge hit. And then you had and Tom Brady was in the game. <laughs> so you had everything. But the concussions thing, it's kind of looking up. So I think what we're trying to say is there are a lot of things. I don't know if the ratings are ever going to go back to what they were just because people don't only watch TV now. They have YouTube. They have Netflix, everything else. But there are some things like the concussion stuff that is getting better, right? So for one thing, the concussion helmet. Sims and Lefko podcast, another shout out to those guys. Talked with Alex Smith the other day about the Zero One helmet, which is a helmet that was compared to any other type of football helmet they have, and it won head-to-head in comparison in any major category in terms of how safe it is. Yet there's only like six NFL players who wear it. It's like Alex Smith, Doug Baldwin, Russell Wilson, I think Clowney wore it, and then Notre Dame is committed to wear it for next year. But that kind of is a result you'd be wondering like why isn't everybody wearing this it's scientifically proven to be a better helmet and smith kind of talks about the fact that like it might just take a little bit longer to catch on some people still wear their helmet that they were from high school you know brady still wears the old helmet but they're already saying that this stuff is going to help a lot and i'm sure you'll see more people wearing this in the future and it's along with the new concussion rules will probably reduce some of the concussions that you see so that's a positive improvement well i don't want to downplay this i mean Chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, uh, is the condition that follows concussions. And the AMA just did a study and found that 99% of the brains of deceased NFL players that were donated for research showed up with CTE. So it's, it's clearly a problem. I mean, you smoke, you get lung cancer. Let me ask you, so this, this new um, Zero One helmet, 
The way right. it works, it has four layers of protection. It has an outer layer to compress and to absorb shock, and then it rebounds. The next layer moves in a different direction. There's another couple of uh, shells to help. So it definitely has been uh, clinically shown to reduce injury, but you still can't prevent the concussion. And But look what's happening. I mean, there's a problem in the NFL. And I mean, Goodell gets slammed for it. The league gets slammed for it for all this concussion stuff. Report concussions are up 13% from last year, which to me is more a product of, hey, they're probably just discovering more concussions than they were before. And now there's people, I don't think that they were, they're always trying to make helmets, but I think that the the creation of this new technology is in response to the public outcry and to the issue. So that's one solution. And there's probably going to be more that are going to come out of this. Well, look, I'm going to agree with you. I think they're going to solve this problem. Have you ever heard of the slosh theory? No. So David Smith is a physician at Cincinnati Children's Medical Hospital, and he is the inventor of the Go Hospital. Sorry. (laughs) He's the inventor of the Q collar, and he is the pioneer of the slosh theory. And as as the name implies, it it refers to the movement of the brain within the skull and in the brain fluid. So they have developed this collar that snaps around the neck and impinges on your uh, jugular vein. The idea is that it slows down the flow of blood from the brain, thereby swelling the brain just enough to fit a little more snugly within the skull. And this thing has uh, been clinically tri- gone through clinical trials and shown to cause significantly less damage to the brain upon impact. That sounds like some science it's crazy. fiction stuff. It does sound like science fiction, uh, but it's an, interesting, it's an interesting approach, right? It's a totally new piece of equipment. Right. So you have improved equipment in these helmets. You know they keep making them better, especially now that they have the focus on it and they're going to put money into it. And now they're making new equipment. So you'll never get rid of concussions. I mean, that's part of the game. I mean, you have the strongest men in the history of the world with all the technology and the advancements and working out and just people getting bigger, running faster than anybody's ever run at each other. But look, this stuff, the studies have shown these things have lowered... um, you know, concussions significantly. So I think they'll be able to get it under control. And I don't know if that's going to help the ratings or not, but it is a, it is a good sign. Yeah. It's a problem I don't know if this is boring for all of. you guys to hear all this stuff, but it is, it, you know, if you really want to know about this, they are working on it. And it's there's things the that are actually fo- It's about the future of football, which we've been talking about. And people think there's a long, slow slide. And, you know, I bet there are, I mean, I personally know a lot of people who said they wouldn't let their kid play football. That will show up at some point unless they can solve this. So that is our show. Uh, I think we got into the science, the realm of science pretty deeply, and hopefully we all learned something there. Yeah, we, got, we gave you guys some science. We give you football, we give you science. Maybe we'll even start getting into life lessons. I don't know. We'll get there when we get there. So uh, we, are, we have a few things on the agenda for upcoming episodes, one of those being our weekly Le'Veon update. He seems to be no end of information. Got a little information uh, today, as a matter of fact. Hey, he's always the entertainer. He wants $50 million guaranteed, so we'll see how that goes. Or we'll see if maybe one of the six running backs that played in that Super Bowl, all of them averaging over six yards a carry, except for one, Deion Lewis. What a loser. He only averaged 4.9 yards a carry. All of Nobody there makes more than like $5 million a year. It's beginning to make a weird case, but I don't care. That's the one lay beyond. We'll still give you well, updates. Well, Le'Veon, given the PR campaign, changing his Twitter handle. 
Oh, he did, didn't he? He went from he Steelers RB to Le'Veon Bell. What a self-centered guy. So we'll also be doing a crash course on the salary caps. Obviously, the Steelers are a little bit tight and having to make some moves. We'll look at that as well as uh, candidates for the draft. Yep, it's about to be draft season. We're going to get into that. Maybe we'll we'll wax poetically about Antonio Brown's style for a couple hours. I mean, that that's an endless thing. I need to know some of the toothpaste the guy uses. I've never seen anything like it. It's blinding. It's like God's teeth. So look, we're, we, we'd love to hear your feedback. Follow us on Twitter, at Steelers Outpost. Our website as, is SteelersOutpost.com or throw us an email at SteelersOutpost at Gmail. Hope you guys enjoyed the game last night as much as we did. Hopefully we enjoy it even more next year when we see the Steelers beat down the Eagles 48-3. to Early prediction. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week. Okay, bye-bye. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.